today is a special service because we are going to be having a baptisms as well as new members inductions. And so I'm very, very um, excited about this. Uh, so it's going to be a different service. My message is going to be a bit shorter. I'm going to be talking about baptism, and then we're going to be baptizing two people, Rachel and Kobe. And then afterwards, we'll be going into induction of uh, members who have already been baptized previously. So super special service. If today's your first time here, it's a little bit different, but it's a special service. So we're really, really glad that you're here. So with that, um, let me get into uh, things here. And so I want to talk about baptism, what it is, and one of the best places to do that is uh, particular passages in the Bible here. We're going to start here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, because we're going to be looking at the Exodus account of the Red Sea. Now, the reason for that is because the, the crossing of the Red Sea which many of you um, are familiar with. Even if you didn't grow up in a church, you've probably heard about Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, Moses parting the sea. Uh, That's a wonderful picture and explanation of what baptism is. So here, Paul in 1 Corinthians goes back and he talks about it. He says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So what's going on here? It's kind of very particular, interesting language. Paul here is making a connection already. He's already connecting New Testament baptism with what happened at the Red Sea, and and he's gonna explain what happened there. So if you remember in that story, Moses, parts the Red Sea, right? Uh, The Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh had kept them there, working them hard. They were slaves to the Egyptians. But then God came and delivered his people out of Egypt through signs and wonders and miracles. You may recall the 10 plagues that God inflicted upon Egypt and eventually Pharaoh said, get out of here, scram! And all the Israelites left Egypt. And as they left Egypt, they started heading out towards the Red Sea. Then Pharaoh changed his mind, right? And he said, what have we done? We've let go of our slaves. So they sent their army, the whole army, after the Israelites. The Israelites saw the Egyptian army coming after them. They got scared. They said, oh my gosh, they're going to come and kill us, or they're going to take us back into slavery. What do we do? They ran, but then they ran into the Red Sea, and there was nowhere to go. How a million people, men, women, children, elderly people, they had no boats. They were stuck with the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army closing in from behind. They had nowhere to go. They were done. They were kaput. But what did God tell Moses to do? He said, stretch out your staff towards the Red Sea and God split the sea. He parted the sea. And as he parted the sea, the ground became dry and the Israelites were able to cross through the Red Sea and and walk on dry ground all the way across the Red Sea to the other side. Now, Pharaoh and his army, because their hearts were hardened and they were dead set on getting their slaves back, chased the Israelites into the Red Sea. Bad idea, right? You'd think that maybe we should think twice about this, but their hearts were so hardened, they chased the Israelites into the Red Sea. And then what happened? When the Israelites got through onto the other side, 
uh, Moses stretched his hand out, his staff out, back over the waters, and the water came down, and the water came onto Pharaoh and his army and drowned his entire army in the Red Sea. And the Israelites had their freedom. They were on the other side of the Red Sea. They were no longer pursued. Pharaoh's army was drowned by the judgment of God in the Red Sea. And then the Israelites walk on a little bit further and they get to Mount Sinai, the mountain that was covered with fire because of the presence of God. And at Mount Sinai, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. God gave Moses the law and the people entered into covenant with God and they became God's people and God became their God. They formalized it. They were free from slavery in Egypt and they became the people of God. Now, um, if I could just depict this with my incredible artwork here, um, I, decide, I was deciding between fine art and finance. I went with finance before I became a pastor, but I still wonder if I made the right decision. So if we can see from, from this picture here, um, on the far side, you have Egypt, which is, is where the Israelites were. And on the right side, you have Sinai, which is the mountain of God. And then in between, you have the Red Sea, this uncrossable um, body of water, a lot more uncrossable than I drew it to look here. Uh, that was the situation here. And we know that what Egypt represented was slavery. That's what Egypt represented. They were in, actually not just represented, but physically, they were in slavery to the Egyptians. And we know that Sinai is where they became the people of God. They entered into a covenant relationship with God. And the Red Sea in the center became a place of judgment, not for the Israelites, but for the Egyptians. So going back to 1 Corinthians 10, what does it mean that the Israelites were baptized into Moses? What is the connection with baptism? Now, Baptism in the New Testament time, for us now, what baptism symbolizes is um, the fact that we need a savior. We need to be forgiven of our sins. We need to be saved, and Jesus did that. He saved us by dying upon a cross for our sins. And Moses, what he was, was a savior, in a sense, for the people of Israel. He was their savior. He went and he brought them out of Egypt, and he helped them across the Red Sea through the power of God and led them into this place where they became God's people. Gordon Fee, the theologian, he put it this way. He said, just as the Corinthians' Christian life began with baptism, so our father's deliverance from Egypt began with a kind of baptism. Um, this is why the Old Testament story of baptism is such an incredible picture of what baptism is for us now. So with that as our background, let's look here at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Um, If I could go back to this diagram here, again in the Old Testament, Egypt representing slavery, slavery to the Egyptians, Sinai is where they became the people of God, the Old Testament nation of Israel, and the Red Sea was where Pharaoh and his army were judged. In the New Testament, we come to see that this was all pointing forward to something else. This all was one big analogy meant to help people recognize who their savior would be. Because what, sla- what Egypt, what that slavery really represents is not physical slavery to the Egyptians or to any people, but what it represents is slavery to sin. That's what Egypt represents in the Old Testament. It's slavery, but it is slavery to sin. Every one of us without Christ, are enslaved to our sinful desires. We cannot live for God. We live for ourselves. We live for the idols that we have created in our own heart. We live for money. We live for sex. We live for power. We live for our reputation. We live for comfort. We live for control. We live for for the American dream. We live for other things, but not God. We're enslaved to our sin. But we see that in the New Testament, in relationship with God, we become the people of God, we become the church. That is the New Testament people of God. No longer those who are descended from Abraham physically, but all those who are spiritual children of Abraham, people of faith in Jesus Christ, the church. We become the people of God. Now the question is, how do we get from a place of sin, a place of slavery to sin, to being the people of God. Because there is this Red Sea, so to speak, there is this judgment in between, because nobody who has sin can enter into the presence of God. When Adam sinned, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and God posted a mighty angel and a flaming sword at the entrance to the Garden of Eden so that nobody could enter back into the presence of God because of their sin. Nobody could enter in. If you try to enter in, that sword will kill you. That angel will punch you. Either way, you're done. There's no way to get back in. Death is what awaits anybody who tries to come into God's presence because of our sin. How do the people of God, how do we become the people of God? We all deserve to die in the Red Sea. We deserve the judgment of God. We deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. We deserve to spend eternity in hell apart from God. How is it possible to become the church, the people of God? Well, thank God that the Red Sea was not just pointing to a body of water, bringing physical judgment upon Pharaoh, but it pointed forward to God's judgment of the cross that he placed upon Jesus Christ. You see, none of us can enter into the presence of God because of the judgment of God that we all deserve. But Jesus, God the Son, came into this world, took on human flesh in order to die upon a cross 
to die the death that we should have died. He did that upon the cross so that if anybody puts their faith in Jesus, we experience forgiveness. You see, the, the Israelites didn't deserve to get to the other side of the Red Sea any more than the Egyptians did. They were sinners, just like the Egyptians. They had sin as well. They didn't cross the Red Sea because they were so special, because they deserved it. They didn't. It was a mystery. God, why would you do this? We deserve to drown just like Pharaoh and his army. Why are you letting us pass and becoming the people of God? Well, the answer to that would come thousands of years later where God would say, this is why. This is what the grace of the Red Sea was pointing towards, that one day my son would come and die on the cross so that anybody who believes in him that there is no way to be forgiven of our sins except through faith in Jesus, that he died as a substitute for my sin. I deserve the judgment of God, but Jesus took that punishment for me. If anybody believes in that, we cross through the Red Sea of God's judgment, punishment for sin, and we can become the people of God. Amen? That is what Jesus did for us. That is why the Red Sea is such an incredible picture of what God has done for us. That is why in baptism today, what we do is we immerse somebody in a body of water. Because what we're saying is when you go down into the water, you deserved to die in the Red Sea like Pharaoh and his army for his sin. You deserve to die. But because of Jesus, you can rise out of the water into newness of life. In fact, what has died is your sinful, your, your old self, the power of sin over you. That is what has died. And now you can live in newness of life. You see, two things happened primarily through the cross. Two things happened. Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, he freed us from the penalty of sin. Jesus took our punishment. When my kids were really young, I used to, when I was trying to tell them about Jesus, I would try to explain to them, like many parents do, you know, you know how you get a timeout when you have done something bad? Jesus took our really big timeout. And then they kind of go, oh, I, I get it. I think I get it, you know? And um, well, that's what he did for us. Not just standing in the corner for, for, you know, for 10 minutes, but from an eternity apart from God. Jesus died to take that penalty from us. He took the punishment we were supposed to receive so that we could be declared innocent because our debt was already paid for through the sacrifice of Jesus. His death also freed us from the power of sin, from the power of sin, because just as Jesus died, he also rose again from the dead because death could not hold him. And now, because we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills us as well. The Holy Spirit is within us and gives us the power to be able to say no to our old sinful nature. We have been changed. We have the Holy Spirit within us. And now we can begin to walk with God. We're not going to be perfect right away. It's a journey. We have to grow. It takes time. But we begin to be able to say no to our old self. Say, no, I don't need to be ruled by money. 
I don't need to chase after what everybody else chases in this world. I don't need to have everything in my life under control or else I'm an anxious wreck. I don't need to have all of my ducks in a row. I don't need my life to be perfect, Instagrammable. But I have God with me and I have the power to be able to live in freedom from those things. Hallelujah, Jesus took our penalty, he freed us from the penalty of sin and he also freed us from the power of sin. This is why Paul said there, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We have died. We have died. We have been buried with Christ in baptism. That old self is gone. And now the new self that emerges is one that says, Jesus, I will follow you as my Lord and Savior. How can we continue to walk in sin? We have been changed. We are a new people. Amen? So, with that being said, let me ask this question, particularly as it pertains to baptism today and what we're going to be doing right there in that metal tank. You'll see it once we lift the screen there. A couple of questions that I want to ask. Why baptize at all? Why do this symbol? Because if it's a spiritual thing, if it happens through faith in Jesus, why do we need to do this physical act here? That's very important to know that what we do today is not what saves Kobe. It's not what saves Rachel. It is by faith alone in Jesus Christ that we are saved and but through nothing else, no other works added to it. If that's the case, and Kobe and Rachel are already Christians, they're already a part of the people of God, why do we do this physical act? Isn't it enough that spiritually it has happened within them? Why bother doing this? Secondly, why do it so publicly here? I mean, they got to get up on stage in front of everybody and all that. Why be so public about it? Can't they just come at night by themselves, go into the pond right there, into that artificially blue water, find a little place without some goose poop floating in there and just go dunk themselves in it. Nobody else is around, you know? They could do it, why not? Or just fill the bathtub at home. I baptize myself in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, you know, and it's done. Why do it publicly like this? Um, it, Bobby Jameson, in his book, Understanding Baptism, he defines it really well what baptism is, why we do this in particular. He said, baptism is a church's act of affirming and portraying a believer's union with Christ by immersing him or her in the water and a believer's act of publicly committing him or herself to Christ and his people, thereby uniting a believer to the church and marking off him or her from the world. Now, there are two things here. So there are two acts here, if, if we, we look carefully here. One is the church's act. The second is the believer's act. Two things are happening here. Two things are happening. The church is affirming and portraying what's happening, what, what happened in the believer's life, and the believer is publicly committing him or herself to Christ and his people. Two things are happening here when we baptize Rachel and Kobe. Let me, let, me, let me put it this way. So if I were to talk about these two acts, first, the believer's act. What's happening with the believer is 
when, when Kobe and Rachel come up here today and they get baptized, they're making a declaration. They're saying, I am a Christian. I am a believer. I am a follower of Jesus. It is a personal declaration by them. I believe in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and Savior. I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a part of the community of God. That's what they're saying when they get baptized. Now, the rest of us, meaning the church, what we are saying is we are affirming, yes, you are. Yes, you are a Christian. We believe that. That's why we are baptizing you. Uh, I've read Rachel and Kobe's testimony about their relationship with God. I believe they understand the meaning of the gospel. They get it. And, and we've seen God at work in their lives. We believe that they are Christians. So it is the church coming and saying, yes, we believe that you are Christians, which is why we are the ones who do the baptizing. And they don't do it themselves. The, the Bible, Jesus said that the church holds the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We are the ones who declare, yes, this one is a part of the family of God. This one gets it. This one understands the gospel. This is why we don't baptize ourselves, but we are baptized by the church. When these two things happen, I am plus you are becomes we are. So this is how, you like my, my photo, not Photoshop, I can't even say Photoshop, but you don't understand how much work this took, okay? <laughs> the cropping is not enough to make that arm connect to the other group. I should have asked Stephanie Long for help with this. But. So through baptism, this is how people are included into the family of God, right? They were Christians already, but this is the way we know that they're a part of the family of God. They've declared it, I am. And we've declared it, yes, you are. And together, now we know, ah, this is our family. These are my brothers and sisters to care for and to love as, as the family of God. Kobe, um, Rachel, they are brothers and sisters, and we are to treat them as a part of the family of God, a part of the church. That is what baptism is. That is why we do it. Brothers and sisters, you know, um, if we go to the Great Commission, Jesus told us, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. From the very get-go, Jesus says, when you become a Christian, get baptized. Um, our faith from the get-go is meant to be a public one. One where we start off declaring that we are the part of the family of God and the church recognizes us to be a family of God. We begin our journey in Christ with this declaration. 